today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rather disturbing story. Uh, should our police services have access to the COVID-19 database? Uh, London Police Services Board is now looking into the high usage by that police service about uh, accessing the base. Hamilton also has the same sort of concern. As a matter of fact, we're told that uh, Hamilton Police Services uh, accessed that database over 10,000 times over a few months in the last little while, raising concerns about public safety and certainly about privacy in situations like this. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Ann Kevorkian, uh, presently the distinguished expert in residence, leading the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence. She's also a senior fellow of the Ted Rogers Leadership Center at Ryerson University and, of course, formerly was, of course, the Information and Privacy Commissioner for the province of Ontario. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. We haven't talked since uh, you had your old job, and uh, you, you, you kind of have to put that hat on again as we talk oh, about oh. this. Were you surprised by the story, Anne? Totally. I mean, Bill, it makes no sense. 10,000 times they accessed this database. First of all, they shouldn't have had it to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's sensitive health information. It does not belong in the hands of the police. If they have a probable cause, they can get a warrant, and then they can access it. But absent that, you can't just gain access to sensitive health data. And they did it 10,000 times for what? Well, that's a, a great question, and, and their response to this, as we've heard from other police services, is, well, we you know, we had a call, and we, before we respond to the call, we need to access information like this. Uh, yeah. and, and I guess the response to that, Anne, is, well, why? I mean, this is COVID-19. You're probably going to take precautions anyway, aren't you, if you're responding to a exactly, call? Exactly, Bill. They should be taking precautions all the time because they have no idea who they come in touch with if they may be COVID-19 positive. So it's it's a joke that they're saying, well, we have to access the database to check on that. No, you don't. That's not going to give you any extra information. You are far safer to take precautions in every case. I mean, back in the days when we had the, the long gun registry, I know that police used to access that information before they'd respond to a call and at least you know, on a computer and say, okay, is there a firearm there? First of all, uh, not everything was registered, so that was kind of a useless exercise anyway. But yeah. I would assume that if, if, if you're responding to a call at any address here in this area or any place in the, in the province right now, masks and gloves, I mean, that's what you're going to do it. anyway. You'd think you so gotta, anyway. That's it. You have to do that anyway. Anyone going out in public is told wear a mask, make sure, you know, and with the police, gloves, etc. So that's a given. Assuming that that's the case, why would you need to access this database uh, 10,000 times? Well, uh, we've had some feedback on this, as you might have expected, Anne, from uh, a number of people here, including the uh, Canadian Civil Liberties Association have responded to this, uh, the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. And uh, uh, the the common thread I'm hearing from some of the comments about this is is very, very similar right through this, this discussion. Is this this kind of rings of the of the carding debate that went on some time ago, and say why do you need this information? Yes, exactly. They don't need the information. See, that's the problem. Uh, it's always a power grab because they can uh, because as a police they can access the information. No one's going to give them a hard time. Well, those days have changed. You are going to get a hard time because there is such surveillance creep taking place and unauthorized access to sensitive data, especially health information should not be permitted at all. So I applaud the, um, you know, the, ACL, the uh, CCLA for stepping in and saying you have to stop this. And I just urge everyone to remember your health information in the wrong hands can really come back and haunt you. So be very protective of it. Well, and this is one of the, the common threads that we've talked about, about information and, and, and you know, the spread of information. And we're pretty cavalier, of course, the stuff that we put on social media, and we're probably not doing as much as we should to try to protect our own uh, privacy when it comes to situations like this. 
But the other element to this, and, and by the way, I, I want to backtrack just a second. I'm, I'm the first one to say, look, it, I want our police officers to be safe. And, and these are troubling times, and, and I get that, okay? Uh, I don't want them knocking on some door and finding trouble that they didn't anticipate. Uh, but at the same time, even this database, Anne, uh, is, unless it's like 24 hours old, it's outdated. I mean, you know, if you had a test yeah. four or five months ago, that means nothing. If you had a test yeah. 10 days ago, it means absolutely nothing. I mean, so, you know, err on the side of caution and wear masks and gloves. That's what we're telling everybody else. And I'm sure that's what police are doing anyway. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Of course, we want the police to be safe, but they, they, they are most safe if they wear masks and gloves routinely all the time. That's the norm these days. So you don't gain anything by accessing this database, which, as you rightly pointed out, is probably already dated. It, it just it boggles the imagination. And I guess what exacerbates the problem here is, uh, as, as they tried to explain exactly why they were doing this, and we can take that for what it's worth, yeah. the province granted them permission to do this. What were they thinking? Oh, you know, it's crazy. Under um, Whenever there's an emergency situation, like a terrorist incident or a pandemic, as in COVID-19, the, the government is allowed to exercise what's called emergency powers, which enable them to grant access to information, which otherwise would be strongly protected under privacy laws. So they probably just did this routinely. They didn't think it through, unfortunately. And that's the problem. Uh, I, I know you've seen this, but just for the sake of our listeners, uh, the response in, in part uh, from uh, the provinces. Uh, During the height of the outbreak and given the unprecedented nature of this virus, it was imperative that our first responders have access to essential information to take the appropriate precautions to protect themselves and to reduce the potential for community spread of COVID-19. Uh, that's from uh, a spokesperson for uh, the Solicitor General, Sylvia Jones. And and, and on the surface, Anne, that makes all kinds of sense, but yeah. if you're wearing gloves and masks, I, I mean, even if you found out, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, to Bill Kelly's place right now, oh my God, there was a positive test there. What are you going to do? You're going to wear masks you- and gloves. You're not going to not respond Bond. so what exactly. just do it anyway exactly they didn't think any of this true they're saying all this it sounds really good but once you dig into it it's absurd like you said you should be routinely every every occurrence wear masks and gloves uh, if you're the police that's what you should be doing to protect yourself because you also don't know who else might be there who's not sure. on the database who may be positive so it's it's just the weakest excuse possible and who's <laughs> When, who's making the decisions here, and, and who's whispering in their ear and saying, that might not be a bad idea, that might not be a good idea? <laughs> See, that's a good question, Bill. You would think they'd have experts around who would advise them on these things. Um, they, they apparently don't. It's, it's completely unacceptable. Especially when you look at the, at the data here. We've talked about Hamilton Police, of course, with over 10,000 access uh, points here yeah. on, on this data. But other police services never bothered. So it's not as if this was was imperative it's not like some because apparently some police services said well we don't need to do that exactly because they're smart and they're saying we take precautions every single case we encounter we always wear masks and gloves you know then you don't have to do this invasive intrusive um gaining access to this health database how can we protect ourselves from stuff like this? I mean, we are assuming oh. that the people that are in charge, and I'm talking not just police services, I'm talking about, you know, in this case, of course, the, the you know, the office of the uh, Solicitor General and others, that yes. they got our backs in situations like this, that they understand. And, and it's not as if there hasn't been a debate, Anne, over the last four or five years about privacy. I mean, even when you had your old job, that was yes. a huge issue, and it hasn't really gone away. Uh, why aren't they considering that before they make these decisions? I wish I could answer that, Bill. I can't. It it makes no sense. So we have to just persist, and we always have to 
let them see what our expectations are, basic expectations in terms of preserving our privacy, which forms the foundation of our freedom. There's no reason why this should have occurred. It did occur, and unfortunately, it will probably occur again. So we have to constantly remind the government, follow the law, do the right thing, protect people's privacy. It's, it's not an either-or. You can do both, protect privacy and ensure public health by wearing masks and gloves. So that's the mandate, and, and you know, in, with what you're doing now, and of course in your previous role uh, in, in here in the province, uh, how difficult was it for you to get that message across to the government, the governments, because it's local huh. and, 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 of course, provincial? You know, uh, this was, I, I served as commissioner for three terms, and yeah. we always maintained a dialogue with the government. I thought that was really important. Don't just connect with them when there's a problem. Like, just constantly... Uh, you know, have a presence there, which serves almost as a reminder as to the importance of privacy. And maintaining that dialogue, I think, is really critical. I mean, because there are certain things that we have to give up. We understand that, you know. I mean, you know, somebody in in federal and provincial government, I mean, they have my social insurance number, they have my tax records, they have all sorts of stuff. Uh, I mean, somebody in OHIP has my my medical health. I get that. But we all do that with the understanding that, okay, that's going to be between my doctor and me and hopefully no other eyes on this. When we hear stories like this, you got to wonder, okay, who else is looking at this stuff? Yeah, exactly. And the, 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 the references you just made, what we have to give up to the government, they're for finite, limited purposes. So you give your um, tax information to the government only for purposes of taxation, uh, social insurance number, et cetera, health number, only for uses by the medical profession when you're seeking treatment. I mean, the uses of this information are extremely limited to the primary purpose of the data collection. It, it's never intended to be used widely for other purposes that were never contemplated. But now we're starting to get this. I'm starting to get the impression. I think I'm, a lot of other people, I feel the same way about this. And is you have to wonder about information sharing. Who else is looking at this? You know, health mm-hmm. information. Are insurance companies getting an eye on this? I mean, you know, is uh, that data being shared? We, I, I'm hoping not. Uh, same thing with COVID-19 yeah. stuff. That's a very private issue, I would think. I understand that there's a, a public health aspect of this. I get that, absolutely. But if you identify yourself like that, public health knows that, uh, I don't understand why they would share that information with anybody else, though. Uh, they shouldn't share it with anybody else. Uh, if public health has your information, you're COVID-19 positive, they'll meet with you. They'll do manual contact tracing, meaning They'll ask you, you know, who are you in touch with, family, friends, et cetera, and notify them. But it's very limited, and the information is strongly protected. Uh, gaining access, the police gaining access to this database is completely unacceptable. That's why I can't imagine why the government approved that. They, they weren't thinking this through at all. You know, the, one of the unintended consequences of this, and it's not a very nice one, is that uh, when people hear stories like this, and they're going to say, well, I'm not going to give that information at all then. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. go and get tested, for instance, for COVID. Yeah. I'm not going to do any of this stuff because I, I don't know who's going to find out about it. And you can understand that, can't you? Because given this example with the police gaining access to your information, and who knows what they may have done with it. You know, the um, CCLA is, is trying to make sure that the police now delete whatever information they may have collected from this database. Who knows what they're doing with it? And so I understand people's reluctance to part with any sensitive personal information because there's no guarantees that it's not going to flow to other third parties and unintended consequences. 
And do we have all the guardrails in place that we need to for something like this? I, I, I remember the debate, and, and, and this goes way back when I was on city council many years ago in Hamilton, yeah. uh, about closed-circuit cameras in, in downtown yeah. areas. And, uh, and you know, there's, there were privacy, and there still are privacy issues about that. But uh, yeah. the way that w- they, they tried to get around that was they set guardrails up. Okay, only these people can see it. It has to be destroyed after a certain length of time. You can't keep them on record forever and ever and ever and all sorts of things like that. And, and that seemed to assuage a lot of those concerns. Do we yeah. have those parameters in place for something like this? I doubt it. And the thing is, even if we had them in place, who is going to ensure that they're being followed? I mean, the only way you can make sure this stuff takes place and is followed is by having some kind of uh, oversight that someone comes in and examines what they're doing with the information, making sure the data was deleted when it should have been deleted. I think that's totally lacking right now, and that's well, what causes me so much concern. Yeah, and absent of that, of course, uh, we're reactive to these situations. In other words, yes. we're, we're talking about this now because it's already happened. Uh, yeah. Where was the oversight to make sure that it didn't happen in the first place? Where was the, 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 the oversight to say, wait a second, no, you can't go there. That's not, that's not information that's, that should be available to you in a situation like that. I mean, we have people in place in government that are supposed to be able to do that sort of thing, aren't we? We're, we're supposed to. Supposed to. You're right. You're, we're supposed to. It seems to be non-existent now, that kind of oversight that you were referring to, um, because it was the civil liberties organization that outed this uh, police use of health data and uh, made them stop it. It wasn't the government. It wasn't, you know, th- that's what concerns me, is that the government should be overseeing all of this, and it doesn't appear to be the case. So... <laughs> You know what this comes down to, and I know you, we, we've had this discussion in the past, you and I, and it's about public trust, and, and yeah. whether it's government, whether it's police services, and again, I'm, I'm not slamming police services. I mean, this was access yeah. that was granted to them, and I get that, and I, it's about public safety and police safety, and I, I understand that totally, and I support that totally, too. But at the yeah. same time, now that we hear a story like this, the public is going to say, well, what else are you accessing? What else do you know about me, and who else is seeing this stuff? Yeah, of course. And and you can't blame them for saying that because uh, it seems that this kind of unauthorized access is taking place, and we only happen to learn about it after the fact. So the proactive aspect of this appears to be lacking. You know, what I refer to as privacy by design, embedding privacy into your processes proactively, it appears to be non-existent. But given the debate that we've had over the last couple of years, You'd think that this would be a, a priority. Uh, it doesn't seem to be. As a matter of fact, even the explanation we got from the Solicitor General's office was rather cavalier, I thought. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, you were right. The point you made earlier, there is such a trust deficit right now everywhere. No one trusts a government. Uh, and then these stories keep coming up, and, you know, both federally with the whole we thing and this. and There's just no trust. And governments have to try to build trust because... Otherwise, it will continue to be eroded, and oh, very unfortunate situations will arise. Well, I'm looking at the bigger picture here, and, and there's a lot of debate that's happening, well, right across North America, I suppose, about police services, and, and we've all heard the the cry for defunding, which I, I don't agree with, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but you know, a reevaluation of what police do and how they do it is, is welcome. I mean, every department should be doing that. We get that. But with that out there, and that's that's hanging over everybody right now, the police, us as a society and everyone else, You'd think that there'd be more diligence to say, look, let's watch where we go here because we're only going to make a bad situation worse if we do something wrong or make a a misstep. Well, this was a misstep. Well, you know, you would think that there would be more vigilance that the police and others would 
in government would say, yeah, we've got to be more careful and take better precautions. I don't know why that's not happening. It certainly doesn't appear to be happening. And that's the problem. In terms of wanting to build trust and strengthen the public's um, faith in, in government, they have to take these measures. But I don't see them, Bill. That's the problem. I've always maintained that, uh, you know, whether it's a political decision or whatever it might be, uh, before everybody gets up from the boardroom floor or from their Zoom meeting or whatever it is, somebody ought to ask the question, how is this going to fly? Uh, how's the public going to perceive this? Because yeah. perception is reality when it comes to the public. It may be legal what they've done, but if the perception is, no, that's wrong, then you better have that discussion before you break up the meeting and say, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And, and is this the right thing to do? And if, and if you're adamant that it is the right thing to do, then you better have a solid explanation as to why they need to do it. And, and, and you know, police protection is great. I get that. I'm, I'm for that all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. but as I mentioned, as you talked about too in the beginning of our conversation, if, in fact, they say, oh, yeah, it's, there's a positive result there, all they're going to do is wear masks and gloves. They're not going to do anything differently. They're going to wear hazmat suits or anything. They're still going to respond to the call. So yeah. do that anyway, and you don't need this information. Toronto police didn't do it, and they, I'm sure they have a lot more calls than, than Hamilton and London and everyone else does, yeah. but they decided this was a bad decision, and so they just decided not to go there. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's, it's such a poor decision, and it, it makes you wonder who authorized this decision. Um, did it go to the head of the police department? Or did, like, who made this information accessible and made the police department think, yeah, this is what we should be doing? I, I just, I don't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, I think that there should be a, a careful audit and review of this decision and how it transpired. Which probably starts at Queen's Park, because, I mean, that's obviously where the permission was yeah. granted. And I don't know whether, we don't know at this stage whether it was a request or just a, a dictum from, from them. So uh, more to come on this, I guess. And great talking with you again. Thanks so much for the time today. A pleasure, as always. Thank you. Stay healthy. Okay, talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Dr. Ann Kevorkian, of course, former uh, Information and Privacy Commissioner for the Province of Ontario. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.